In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're there in Numbers chapter number 12. And of course, this morning, I uh, pre- we, we were in Numbers chapter 12, uh, and I pretty much preached through verse number 1 and uh, used it as a springboard uh, for our subject this uh, morning. And of course, uh, tonight, I actually plan on preaching through the entire chapter. So we're going to go verse by verse through the chapter and outline it. Uh, but this morning, we started here, of course, in verse number 1, where the Bible says, And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. And of course, this morning, I preached a very uh, specific uh, sermon on the subject of interracial marriage and uh, racism. And uh, if you were not here for that sermon, then I would encourage you to check it out on, on our website. And I, I think it's, it's, a, a very, it's, it's a very specific sermon, but I think it's an interesting topic to talk about. And um, it's always interesting to me, like after the sermon. Sometimes I wish I could get all the comments before I preach the sermon. You know what I mean? Because oftentimes after I preach a sermon, people give me comments and feedback that I'm like, oh, that would have been good uh, to know. Uh, but I got some, some interesting comments uh, this, this afternoon, or just feedback or just observations. One, which I think was interesting, is that Brother Ray uh, confirmed that he also got pulled over in Nebraska for speeding, and, uh, and, and he was let off with a warning. So that <laughs> confirms that my situation was racist, that my cop was racist. I'm pretty sure it was probably the same cop, too. So, I don't, you know, we don't know. But uh, anyway, I thought that was interesting. We also confirmed that my other story in Kentucky did take place in Brother Luke's hometown. Uh, so, no, I'm just kidding. I'm not sure. We're not sure. But um, Brother Luke is no longer racist, so we know that. So, no, I'm, kidding. I'm kidding. I'm joking, all right? Kentucky is actually a very beautiful state. The state was beautiful, and we liked it. And um, another observation was that was interesting. If you remember, like, last year... I think it was last year, end of last year, beginning, or the year before that, um, when we had the eight, eight, six weddings in eight months. I performed six weddings in eight months. Every single one of those couples was an interracial couple. So that was kind of interesting. I hadn't really noticed that because I'm not racist, but um, it's something that, that was interesting. So that actually want, made me want to change my position on interracial marriage and maybe stop doing them because that was way too many weddings. Um, but anyway, some interesting thoughts there. But of course, we talked about that this morning. I'd like you to keep your place there in Numbers 12 and go to Acts chapter number 7, if you would. Acts in the New Testament, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Acts chapter 7. And um, I just want to show you something kind of real quick out of Acts just by way of introduction to help you kind of understand how we can apply a lot of these stories in the book of Numbers. Um, Acts chapter 7 and verse 38. The Bible says, Acts seven thirty-eight. this is he that was in the church in the wilderness with the angel which spake to him in Mount Sinai and with our fathers who received the lively oracles to give unto us. I want you to notice that in the New Testament, the book of Acts, the Bible refers to the children of Israel in the wilderness, Acts 7.38, this is he that was in the church in the wilderness. And of course, all throughout the Old Testament, they're referred to as a congregation, and as the children of Israel wandering the wilderness. But it's interesting that in the New Testament, they're referred to as a church, which would make sense because the word church 
pretty much just simply means a called out assembly. And that's definitely what they were in the wilderness. The children of Israel were a called out assembly wandering uh, in the wilderness. But it's interesting that they're called a church because I do think that a lot of the stories that we read about in the Old Testament can be applied to a New Testament church and church life. Of course, they're not exactly the same, but the fact that there's a lot of issues that happen uh, within the congregation in the wilderness, of course, Moses kind of picturing their human leader or their pastor. Uh, It's interesting that the Bible calls them a church in the wilderness because I do think that as we travel through the book of Numbers and we look at some of these stories, we'll be applying them to church and to church life because the Bible applies them uh, to church and the Bible calls them a church in the wilderness. So a lot of the issues and drama that they go through uh, in the wilderness are things that we're going to see mirrored uh, within our congregation here or within, you know, just every congregation uh, in general. So that's something good for you to kind of remember and understand that the Bible in the New Testament calls them the church in the wilderness. So as you're reading these stories and you're making these applications, you can see how they can be representations or they can resemble uh, the day that we live in and the day of the local New Testament church. Go back to Numbers chapter 12. Keep your place there in Acts, if you would. We're going to come back and forth uh, from the book of Acts. But in the story, of course, we have uh, this drama that unfolds. And what we see is that Miriam and Aaron, who are the sister and brother of Moses, the Bible says that they are speaking against him. Look at verse 1 again. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian. And I'm not going to deal with the subject of, of, of race or interracial marriage uh, tonight. We dealt with that this morning. But there are seven uh, characteristics that we see in this chapter that I, I want to say it this way. They are pretty standard. They're, they're usual characteristics. There's some things that I was, I was reading this chapter and studying it for tonight's sermon, things were just kind of popping out at me, and, and I was seeing them, and I was thinking like, yeah, that's pretty common. Yes, that's pretty usual. And I, and I want to make this point that these seven characteristics that I'm going to point out for you tonight in this, uh, in this chapter, uh, I am not saying that this is always the case. It's not always the case, but it is usually the case, and, and we can see that this church in the wilderness represents for us some of the drama that often we see even uh, within the local church. So let me just jump right into it. And if you want to take notes, of course, you're welcome to do that on the back of your course of the week. There's a place for you to write down some notes. Uh, these points are not, uh, they're, they're not succinct and they're not alliterated. They're just, they're statements. Uh, so I'll try to give them to you slowly if you'd like to write them down. But the first thing that we see uh, in this passage here, when we read in verse 1 that Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses, is this. And again, not always, not always, but usually, here's the first statement, the people closest to you are the ones who treat you the worst. And I want you to notice here that we're going to see in the book of Numbers that Moses has a tough time with the children of Israel in the wilderness. I mean, he has people that rise up against him, 
come out against him. He's, he's, we're going to fight Korah. We're going to fight Balaam. We're going to fight the children of Israel just murmuring and complaining. They're going to try to stone him and threaten to kill him. They're going to do all sorts of things uh, to Moses as a leader in the book of Numbers. But it's interesting to me that the first criticism that we see, the first time that someone rises up against Moses, uh, really, and we see it in a personal uh, way, it's his sister and his brother, Miriam and Aaron, spake against Moses. And something that you and I need to just understand in life, that not always, but usually, it is the people that you're closest to. It is the people that you spend the most time with. It is the people that you invest the the most time in that treat you the worst, appreciate you the least, criticize you the fastest. Here we see Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses. Now, this is something that's taught throughout the Bible. Uh, You've got your place there in Numbers. Of course, that's our uh, text for tonight. Go to the New Testament book of Mark, if you would. If you kept your place in Acts, if you go backwards, you have John, Luke, and then the book of Mark. Continue to keep your place in Acts, but go to Mark chapter 6 and look at these words uh, that we see regarding the Lord Jesus Christ. Mark chapter 6 and verse 3, the Bible says this, is not this the carpenter's son? Excuse me, is not this the carpenter? In another passage it says the carpenter's son, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph, and of Judah and Simon. And I want you to just understand the context. The Lord Jesus Christ has started his ministry here in Mark 6. He's in his ministry, and he is right now in this passage, he's in his hometown. He's, he's been preaching in other places, other locations, been having crowds and a lot of reception, a lot of the, the work of God is being done. But now when he goes to his hometown, the town that he grew up in, the response from the people is this, is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and of Judah and Simon are not his sisters. Notice what they said, here with us. And they were offended at him. I want you to notice verse 4. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, but in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And Jesus says that the, the way that it's worded, that statement, don't miss what it's saying. What he's saying is, when he says a prophet is not without honor, he's saying that a prophet often receives honor. And a prophet... In the Old Testament and preachers in the New Testament, as they would travel around and be in different places, they would often receive honor and respect for their ministries. But Jesus said, a prophet, is they're not without honor. They get honor, he says, but except, he says, but in his own country and among his own kin and in his own house. And this, and Jesus is referring to himself. He's talking about the fact that he's been preaching in all these other towns and all these other places, and people receive him well. They come to hear him preach. They they hear the word of God. They receive it. They get saved. But when he goes to his own hometown, and the idea is this, that if anybody should have been receptive to the Lord Jesus Christ, it should have been the people that saw him grow up. Because he's, he's the Lord Jesus Christ. He's claiming to be God in the flesh. These people grew up with him. They should have known. We never saw him do anything bad. We never saw him do anything wrong. We never saw him uh, 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 do uh, anything that he shouldn't have done. These people who were the closest to him should have been the ones that accepted him. But oftentimes, it is just human nature that the people closest to you are the ones who oftentimes appreciate you the least and treat you the worst. 
So look, in your life, because I've often seen uh, Christians, you know, and they'll, they'll start soul winning, and they'll go soul winning, and they'll get lots of people saved, and they'll see many people saved, but then they can't get their own family saved. And they'll be discouraged by that, or they can't get their own family to listen to them, and they're just, you know, discouraged and upset, and they need to understand this, that oftentimes the people closest to you are the ones that are going to treat you the worst. They're, they're, they're going to be the ones that are going to be the least receptive. They're going to be the ones that are even the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking about God in the flesh. He shows up to his hometown, and they're kind of like, ah, I don't know. I don't know about this guy. And look, in life, you just need to realize, and that's why sometimes if your family is not receptive to you, sometimes the best thing for you to do is to allow someone else to give them the gospel. You know, bring them to a family and friend day. Bring them to an Easter service. Allow somebody else to give them the gospel that they don't know, you know? And you might be thinking to yourself, like, I'm a better soul winner than that guy. But the difference between you and that guy is that they didn't change that guy's diapers, right? They didn't, they didn't watch that other soul winner. They didn't live through them through middle school and high school and know all the stupid things they did. So there's just this thing about when we're close to people, Oftentimes, it is the people that are closest to us that treat us the worst. And I look at the story, and I see Miriam and Aaron just criticizing Moses, and I think to myself, isn't this typical? The people that are closest to Moses are the first ones to draw blood. Now, lots of people are going to draw blood with Moses um, throughout the book of Numbers, but the first ones to criticize him, the first ones to attack him, the first ones to go after him are his own family. And look, this is the truth. The people closest to you are often the ones who treat you the worst. And, and again, this is not always the case, but this is usually true. And let me just be real clear. This is not the case with my family, all right, at all. My family is great. You know, my parents and my sister and my brother, they come to our church, and they, you know, they're not Aaron and Miriam or whatever. They, they, they support us and they love us. But what I'm saying is, it's not always family. Look, oftentimes in ministry, what I found is the people that I spend the most time with, I'm talking about the people that my wife and I spend the most time helping, being there for them, late nights, you know, just helping them through all the trials and storms of life. Oftentimes, and again, not always, but usually it seems like the people you do the most for are the ones that appreciate you the least. And then sometimes my wife and I will get a card from someone and it's like we barely even know them. We barely have done anything for them. And they're just like thanking us and appreciating us for all the things that, you know, we've helped them with and done. And we're kind of like, we haven't done much in comparison to other people. But then you sometimes you do a lot for other people and then they're the, and then they're getting they're getting an appreciation card for the other pastor. You know, and they're, they're appreciating the other guy. So in life, you just need to understand that this is something that often happens. And here's the application. You say, you know, well, what, what do we do with this? Okay, this is just an observation of life. And look, it's true in every area of life. And, and oftentimes, you know, people are, and this is true with young people. They'll act like somebody else's mom and somebody else's dad is so awesome and so great. And look at that family. And, they'll, and, they'll, and they won't appreciate their own mom and dad who have been there for them their whole life. So here's the application. Be the type of person that appreciates the people in your life. The ones that have shown up for you. The ones that have been there for you. Hey, appreciate them. Love them. 
realize they're the ones that have been here for me. They're the ones that have uh, seen the good, the bad, and the ugly. They're the ones that have helped me uh, throughout life. And, and, and so, so look, teenager, appreciate your mom and dad. And if you're like, oh, well, my parents are lame and these are my friend's parents are. Look, if you, if, if you had your friend's parents, you would think they were lame and you'd think your parents were cool. And look, it's so easy in life. Guys go to work somewhere and they're like, well, my buddy works at this other, at this other place and his boss. And it's just this mentality that the grass is always greener. Let me tell you something. The grass is not always greener. And, and the problem with people like this is that they complain about everything. So look, let me just let you in on a little secret. It doesn't matter who your boss is. It doesn't matter who your husband is. It doesn't matter who your wife is. It doesn't matter who your pastor is. It does not matter who your pastor's wife is because a person who complains about their mom, about their dad, about their pastor, about their job, about their boss, about their neighbor, about their whatever, a person that complains about the people that are close to their life, they're going to complain about anyone. Do you understand what I'm saying? It doesn't matter. Look, if I died and your favorite pastor became the pastor of Verity Baptist Church, within a few weeks, you'd be complaining about that guy. And you, and, and you say, well, I, I, look, it's true. People, they complain about the boss they have now, but they complain about the boss they had a year ago. It's like you just complain about all your bosses. So why don't you just learn to become someone who appreciates and, and oftentimes you say, why is it that the people closest to you are often the ones who treat you the worst? I think it's because they're the ones that feel most comfortable with you. So the application for us is this. Appreciate the people you're most comfortable with. Appreciate the people who have seen you at your worst. Appreciate the people that have been there for you when they didn't have to be. And just don't be this person who's going to just mistreat the ones you're closest to. Make sure you love and appreciate the people you're close to. So the first thing we see from this chapter is that, like I said, not always, but usually the people closest to you are the ones who we often tend to treat uh, the worst. And look, let let me apply it to this. Oftentimes we are disrespectful, and people can be disrespectful to their close friends and family, and then they're just as nice as can be to some perfect stranger. And you say, well, why is that? Because a prophet is not without honor, saving his own country. So don't be that person. Be mindful of that, that that's human nature, and don't be that individual. But then there's a second thing I'd like you to notice uh, from the story, and it's this. Notice verse 1. I, I promise you we're going to get off of verse 1 right now, okay? Numbers 12.1. And Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. Now, when we read Numbers 12.1, what we are reading is the narrator. The narr- somebody's telling us the story. The narrator is telling us the story, which is Moses. But we know that holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So the narrator is actually the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is narrating the story for us. And the Holy Spirit says that Miriam and Aaron spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married, for he had married an Ethiopian woman. So according to Numbers 12.1, why did Miriam and Aaron speak against Moses? They spoke against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman, right? Look at verse 2. And they said, now notice, now we're going to see what they spake when they spake against Moses. And they said, Hath the Lord indeed 
spoken only by Moses? Did you just catch what we read? The narrator of the scriptures told us that they spake against Moses because of the Ethiopian woman whom he had married. But then when we see what they said when they spake against Moses, they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not also spoken by us? And the Lord heard it. And if you're paying attention, you've got to ask the question, what does hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses have anything to do with the Ethiopian woman whom he married? And the answer is this, that it has nothing to do with the Ethiopian woman that he married. You say, well, what what can we learn from this? Here's what we can learn from it. And look, again, not always, but usually. Whatever reason people give for being mad at the leader... Whatever reason people give for being mad at the pastor, being mad at the pastor's wife, being mad at the boss, being mad at whatever, whatever reason people give for being mad at the leader is usually not the real reason. These people, Miriam and Aaron, are criticizing Moses. Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not also by us? And the Lord heard it. They are saying Moses is being a ball hog. Moses is being some sort of a, 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 of a, of a dictator. He's acting like God only speaks through him. Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not also spoken by us? But the narrator of the story tells us that the real reason they're mad at Moses is because he married an Ethiopian woman. So please know this. Just understand it. And look, by the way, this is why this is one of the reasons I believe the Bible is not written by man. It's because man could not write stories like this that would have so much insight into humanity. Because once you've been pastoring for 13 years, you read a story like this and you're just like, yeah. You know what I've noticed in 13 years of ministry? Is that whatever reason people give for being mad at me, or being mad at my wife, or being mad at the church, and they quit the church and leave. Whatever reason they give, look, it's not the real reason. It's usually a made-up reason. They're mad about something else. But Miriam and Aaron were not willing to say, hey, we're racist. And we don't like that black Ethiopian that he met. So they're mad at him because he married an Ethiopian woman. But when they attack him, they attack him about something different. And look, whatever reason people give for being mad at the pastor or the pastor's wife, just know this. It's not the real reason. So here's an application. When you leave mad, (laughs) hopefully you don't, right? But when you leave mad and start telling everyone all your reasons why you're leaving, just know that we know that that's not the real reason. Because generally speaking, people don't leave a church saying, I'm just so stinking backslidden. I mean, I'm just, I'm on drugs, and I'm just, my, I've ruined my life. No, they leave the church, and they say, oh, well, pastor, he made a, a racist joke or something. You know, or he preached something I didn't like, or he said something. And they'll make up some false accusation or some reason so look, just know this, when, when you leave upset and start telling everyone the reasons that you're leaving, just know that we know, and when I say we, I mean at least me and my wife, <laughs> know that it's not the real reason. People don't give the real reason when they leave. 
And let me just say this for you church members. When people leave here upset and they give you whatever reason they're giving you, just know that it's probably not the real reason. It's, just, it's, it's always been funny to me over the years when someone leaves and people come to me like, oh, they said that they left because of X, Y, and Z. And I'm just like, and you believe that? Really? And I think to myself like, no, the real reason they're leaving is because they're committing adultery. You know, but I'm not going to say that or I'm not going to you know, give people's information. I think to myself, that's not the real reason. And look, oftentimes we're not going to call people out and give you the real reason, but let, just, let me just be clear. Whatever reason people give for being mad, it's usually made up. Whatever reason people give, these people are saying, hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? The real reason is they're mad that he married an Ethiopian woman. So number one, we saw that the people closest to you, usually, not always, but usually, the people closest to you are the ones who treat you the worst. Number two, we saw... That usually, again, not always, but usually, whatever reason people give for being mad at the pastor is not the real reason. And look, let me just help you understand something. They don't give the real reason because the real reason makes them look bad. That's why they don't give the real reason. So they have to make up a reason. They have to find, and people, it's always funny because you can just see it happening when people are just looking for an opportunity to, like, get mad and quit the church. So just know this. Whatever reason people give for being mad is usually not the real reason. Number three. Look at verse three. Numbers 12, verse three. Now, the man Moses was very meek. That's a very interesting statement in the Bible. The man Moses was very meek. Notice what it says above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. The word meek is this idea of humility. Of course, humility is part of being meek. But it's not just humility. I've heard it explained this way. The word meek is power under control. Is the idea that, look, Moses was the leader. Moses was the man of God. Moses could have just gone to war with these two and just destroyed them. Moses could have, could have held a press conference and said, let me tell you the real reason that Miriam and Aaron are criticizing me. is because they're a bunch of racists. That's what Moses could have done, but Moses chose not to because he was meek. The Bible says that Moses was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. Look at verse 4. And the Lord spake suddenly, unto Moses, and unto Aaron, and unto Miriam. Notice what he says. Come out ye three unto the tabernacle of the congregation, and they three came out. That's like when your dad yells at you. You know what I mean? I mean, and these are three siblings, so they probably felt like God is just like, Moses, Aaron, Miriam, get out here. Come out ye three. And the Lord, you see that the Lord steps in. Notice the Lord spake suddenly. By the way, let me point, point out to you uh, in verse 2, the Bible says, And they said, Hath the Lord indeed spoken only by Moses? Hath he not spoken also by us? Notice this little phrase, And the Lord heard it. Remember that the Lord hears everything you say. When you criticize people, when you attack people, when you lie, the Lord heard it. Verse 4, and the Lord spake suddenly unto Moses and unto Aaron and unto Miriam, come out ye three unto the tabernacle 
of the congregation. Here's point number three. Not always, but usually. Not always, but usually. God does not have a chance to defend us because we are too busy defending ourselves. And this was not the case with Moses. Now, Moses was an exception because Moses was very meek, the Bible says. He was very meek above all the men which were upon the face of the earth. That's quite a statement for God to say. But, you know, one thing that we can learn from this is that you can defend yourself or you can let God defend you. But let me tell you something. It's always better when God defends you. So oftentimes when people attack us and hurt us, what we need to do is just get out of the way and let God defend us. Notice Romans, uh, go, go to Romans if you would. Romans chapter 12, if you have your place in Acts, right after Acts you have the book of Romans. Romans chapter 12, look at verse 17. Romans 12, 17. Romans 12, 17 says this, recompense to no man evil for evil. The word recompense means to repay or to make restitution. Recompense to no man evil for evil. Provide things honest in the sight of all men. Here's what the Bible says. Just because someone does you wrong does not mean that you should do them wrong. It says recompense to no man evil for evil. Look at verse 18. If it be possible, as much as lieth in you, live peaceably with all men. Look at verse 19. Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. Therefore, if thine enemy hunger, feed him. If he thirst, give him drink. For in so doing, thou shalt heap coals of fire on his head. Verse 21, be not overcome of evil, but overcome evil with good. And you know, the Bible says that we should let God fight our battles, and we should let God defend us. And we see here in the story with Moses, because he was a very unique man and because he was very meek, and the Bible says above all the men which were upon the face of the earth, and this is a rare man, that this is not always the case, uh, but usually the case is that God does not even have a chance to defend us because we're so busy defending ourselves. And I, I obviously haven't been perfect at this in, 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 in my life and in my ministry, but I'm often the advice that I give myself and oftentimes the advice that I give my pastor friends. Because, you know, we preachers in the new IFB, uh, we get attacked a lot because we preach the Bible. We preach every aspect of the Bible. We preach parts of the Bible that people don't like. And because of that, people often attack us. And I'm, I'm often advising uh, other pastor friends when they call me about situations, and I'm just telling them, just ignore it. Just don't, don't respond. Don't give those people the, 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 the time of day. Let God avenge you. He says, vengeance is mine. I will repay, saith the Lord. So one thing that we can learn from this passage is that we should be like Moses and we should, we, we should not be so busy trying to defend ourselves and, and, and trying to always correct every wrong and make sure people... Look, if I spent my time trying to correct everything that people said about me that was wrong, I wouldn't do anything else. It's all I do all day long. And in, in our lives, we need to learn to be more like Moses... Because what do you think was more impactful? What do you think was a, a cooler story? Moses going to Miriam and Aaron and saying, Miriam and Aaron, get out here. Or do you think it was cooler when the Lord said, 
Miriam and Aaron, get out here. And it's a sweet thing when you see God defend you. It's a sweet thing when you see God uh, come uh, to your aid. And, and the problem oftentimes is that God, oftentimes God doesn't even have a chance to defend us because we're so busy getting in his way and defending ourselves. And what we should learn is to be more meek, you know, and, and let God deal with it. And look, in ministry, and I'm not going to get into a lot of details. Go back to Numbers 12. But in, in ministry, I've had, we've, my wife and I have had people that we loved and, and, and they just criticized us, gossiped about us, and, and we knew it. And, and you know, even, even in our own church. And we just let it go. We just forgave them, didn't even bring it up to them or whatever. And, and you know, what, what I told myself and the way that I kind of comforted myself is I just said, you know, I'm just going to let God deal with it. I'm going to love them, and I'm, I'm going to be here for them. But, you know, be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever man soweth, that shall he also reap. And it's always interesting to me how I've often witnessed them reap. Because it's, it's interesting, like, they'll criticize us about a, a very specific situation, and then that will just flip out in their own lives. And I think to myself, be not deceived. God is not mocked. Dearly uh, beloved, avenge not yourselves. So oftentimes the best thing that we can do when somebody criticizes us or hurts us or tries to, to make us look bad or feel bad is to just be meek. So let God deal with it. Because not always, but usually, God doesn't even have a chance to defend us because we're too busy defending ourselves. Here's number four. Look at verse five. Numbers 12 and verse five. And the Lord came down in the pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called Aaron and Miriam and they both came forth. And he said, hear now my words. If there be a prophet among you, I the Lord will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so, who is faithful in all mine house. With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently, and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? Here's point number four for you. You would be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason you're mad and not your made-up reason. Because, again, what were they mad at Moses about? The Ethiopian woman. If they would have just came out and said that, I believe that God would not have even got involved in this thing. But the minute they started attacking Moses on his leadership position, God took offense to it because God called them down the Bible says that the Lord came down and called Aaron and, Mo, and, and Miriam, and he's, he, he tells them in no uncertain words, verse 6, he said, Hear now my word, if there be a prophet among you, I, the Lord, will make myself known unto him in a vision and will speak unto him in a dream. My servant Moses is not so. And God is pretty much saying to Miriam and Aaron, Moses is special. 
He said, there are other people that I communicate with. There are other prophets that I speak to. He says, and if I make myself known, I'll make myself known in a vision and in a dream. And throughout the Old Testament, we see God. We see him communicating with people through dreams and through vision. A dream, obviously, when you're asleep, you're having a vision while you're asleep. That's a dream. A vision is when you see the same uh, a vision, but you are awake. We see this throughout the Bible. God communicated through Joseph, through dreams. God communicated through prophets, through visions. But God said, Moses is special. I don't give him a dream. Because here's the thing about a dream and a vision. They can be fairly abstract. Remember the stories of Joseph? The dreams had to be interpreted. The dreams had representations, and the baskets of bread represented certain things, and the birds represented certain things, and, and all these different, they, they, there's this, all this typology that has to be interpreted in a dream and in a vision. If you see the visions that Ezekiel had or different people had, there's a lot of uh, symbolism. But God said, I don't speak to Moses that way. I speak to Moses clearly. He said, I speak to Moses mouth to mouth. And the way we would say that would be face to face. And obviously, Moses did not see the face of God, which is why it says here mouth to mouth. But he says, even apparently and not in dark speeches, and the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? So we see that God gets really upset with them because they start attacking the position of Moses And God says, hey, I put Moses in that position. And you know what? Let let me just help you out. You would be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason that you're offended, not your made-up reason. Like, I remember years ago, we had a guy here at our church. And you remember back in 2016, I mean, many of you remember this, but we had a protest. And I stood up and I said, hey, don't talk to the protesters, don't engage with them, just ignore them, just what, I mean, I, I said that probably every service while we had protesters. And I had some guy go out there and get in some fight with some protester, doing exactly what I told him not to do, and he ended up getting sued. And here's the thing, several people got sued. Some of them did not deserve it at all, they did nothing wrong, but a few of them went out there and did exactly what I told them not to do. And, you know, so when, when this happened, I told this guy, like, hey, you know, you kind of deserve this. And I told him, obviously, we're here for you, we love you, or whatever, but, like, you went out there and just acted like a fool and did everything we told you not to do. So this guy, obviously, he quits the church. But then he goes around telling the church, he just, he just makes up this complete story, accusing me of some financial dealing, like, because he was selling insurance or something weird, and he starts telling everybody about this insurance business and, and accusing me and just completely making up a false story, which, by the way, point number one, the real reason people leave is never the reason they tell you. Because he didn't want to tell people, like, I got sued, and I'm scared, and I'm a coward. He didn't want to tell you that. So he makes up this story about some financial dealing. So I call him up. And I'm just like, hey, are you telling people X, Y, and Z? And he's like, yeah. I'm like, you know that's not, that is a complete lie. And to his credit, he admitted it on the phone. He said, yeah, I know. I'm just mad. I said, you are a piece of crap <laughs> in the Lord, you know. <laughs> and, I, and I told him, like, you are going to call everyone you lied about me. You're going to call them back and tell them the truth that you lied. And he's like, I'm going to do it. And we never saw him again. 
Yeah. But he kept calling people and kept accusing me falsely. So then, of course, I had to deal with it publicly because this guy's like actually accusing me of something that could like get me thrown in jail. And it was just completely false, not true at all. And, and then he's mad. He's like, they're preaching against me. But here's the point. If you would just attack me for the real reason, I probably wouldn't have said anything. If he just said, I'm a pansy, and I don't, and I love money, and I don't like getting sued, then I probably would have just been like, yeah, that's what happened. But people make up these stories. And look, here's all I'm telling you. If you're going to quit the church, why don't you just tell people the real reason you're quitting? Amen. Or here's a novel idea. Why don't you just not say anything? Why don't you just go? And look, I'm not trying to attack people. And I'm not, look, and people often, and, and when I preach something like this, people get so idea like, you attack everyone that leaves. There have been so many people in 13 years that have left this church, and I've never mentioned it or said anything. And some people have came back after they left the church. So that's not true. But when people hurt us publicly, and they actually begin to accuse us in such a way that it can hurt the ministry and hurt the people in the ministry, then yeah, we have to defend ourselves. And here's all I'm saying. You'd be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason. Why don't you just give the real reason you're mad? Why don't you just give the real reason you're upset? Because if you gave the real reason, oh, he preached this and I didn't like it, I'd be like, yeah, I did preach that. Oh, well, guess some people didn't like it. But people make up these reasons, and oftentimes the reason they make up is worse. And look, God is dealing with them, and he's dealing with them harshly for a made-up reason. They're not even mad about that. They're mad about the Ethiopian woman. So here's statement four. You would be better off attacking the preacher. Look, I'm trying to help. I'm trying to, I'm, gu- I'm such a good preacher, pastor. I'm even guiding you on how to attack me properly. I'm, I'm guiding you on your rebellion. You'd be better off just attacking me for the real reason you're mad. You say, but that one makes me look like a punk. Then just shut your mouth. But when you attack a preacher for some made-up reason that's not real, you're, you're going to have the smackdown laid on you. So here's, here's, here's a good idea. Just be honest. Isn't honesty the best policy? Numbers 12, look at verse 8. God says, well... With him will I speak mouth to mouth, even apparently and not in dark speeches. And the similitude of the Lord shall he behold. And of course, he didn't see the face of God. There's a famous story in the Bible where Moses saw the the backside of God and the shape of God, the similitude of the Lord. But then I want you to notice the last part of verse 8. He says, Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? And look, here's statement number five. God will judge you for speaking against authority no matter what the reason. Do you understand that God, God takes authority seriously? And look, young person, whatever your mom, whatever, you, you say, well, if you knew my mom and dad, I would, I don't, here's all I need to know is God gave you to that mom and dad. And God put them in authority of you. And God chose that. God chose that mom for you. God chose that dad for you. So why don't you honor your parents that your life may be long upon the earth? And why don't you obey your parents and, and, and honor them and respect them? Because it doesn't matter why you're attacking the leadership in your life. 
When you do, God is going to come after you. God will judge you for speaking against authority, no matter what the reason. Go to 1 Timothy chapter 5. 1 Timothy chapter 5. If you find the T-books, they're all clustered together. 1 2 Thessalonians, 1 2 Timothy, Titus. And again, we're applying, I'm applying this to like church life because it's the church in the wilderness, but this applies to every area of life, whatever authority. If it's, if it's your husband, wives, if it's your parents for the kids, if it's your boss at work, men, if it's your pastor, whatever the authority, God will judge you for speaking against authority no matter what the reason. So look, don't speak against your boss. Appreciate your boss. Say, my boss is mean, my boss is this, my boss. It doesn't matter. It's, it's your boss. And I'm not saying that if you don't like your boss, look, you, go find another boss. But while you're working for him and you're cashing a check that he signs, it's wrong of you to criticize him. Do you understand that? It's, it's wrong, it's immoral for you to have someone paying you for work and then you're just criticizing. You say, well, I don't like the culture, I don't like him, I don't like, then you just show up and work hard every day and show up on time and be honest and do your best and, and while you're doing that, look for another job. Look, you say, I don't like Pastor Jimenez, I just don't like him, he's whatever, short, brown, whatever reason you don't like. You say, what do I do? Show, don't criticize the pastor, just show up every day, smile, or every service, whatever, smile, do what you're supposed to do and go look for a pastor you can get behind. But don't criticize the authority in your life. God is against it. You say, why does God take so much offense to us criticizing and rebelling against our authority? Here's why. Because God is the ultimate authority. Authority is a chain. It goes from children to parents, from wife to husband, from church members to pastor, to, from employees to boss, but it, it, it goes up to government, but it all ends up at the authority of God. And an attack against authority is an attack against God, which is why God gets so offended with Aaron and Miriam. He says, Wherefore then were ye not afraid to speak against my servant Moses? 1 Timothy 5, verse 19. Against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. You know, you say, well, I don't think that you should bring up the fact that someone was lying about. You know, the Bible says, against an elder, receive not an accusation, but before two or three witnesses. Then that sin, rebuke before all that others also may fear. The idea is that when people accuse someone falsely, a leader is the context of this a pastor, the elder, when someone accuses a pastor falsely, they should be rebuked publicly. You say, why does God take such extreme efforts? Here's why. Because it's so easy to criticize the leader. It's so easy to criticize the leader, and when you're the leader, you have a target on your back. And look, people are often criticizing us. People, and this is the, this is the part, maybe this is just a little bit of therapy for me, so <laughs> excuse me. But you know, one of the things that upsets me oftentimes about ministry is just people make just these ridiculous assumptions. And then they just move forward with their assumptions as though they're real. Like, literally, like, my wife and I bought a van, and somebody was like, oh, did the church buy that van for you? And I'm like, what the hell are you saying? Like, do you realize that, you, that what you just said could land me in prison? Did the church buy me the van? Well, I've got a $40,000 loan on that stinking van, so no. 
It didn't. And you know what? Let me tell you something. The church ran my other van into the ground with start, starting churches in Vancouver and Fresno and Boise. And I just think it's funny that we, we, have, we go and buy a van because we have to because the ministry re- literally ran our van into the ground. And we put a loan on it. And then people were like, did the church buy that for you? Where did you get that idea? And then just, people just say this garbage and just like it's true. And then, and then people are just accusing us and whatever. And it's like, what are you talking about? No, the church didn't buy us a stinking van. It probably should have. And but people just make these accusations and they say things. They have these assumptions. The church do this. The church did that. Look, the church doesn't. The church pays me a salary. I pay my own bills from my salary. And by the way, I work and I work hard. So look, just if you don't know what you're talking about, why don't you shut your mouth? And I just, I think it's, it's, it's interesting to me how, like, people just formulate these thoughts in their head, and then they move forward with them as though they're true. And they state them as though they're true. They say them to other people as though they're true. And when they finally get to us, we're like, what? No. No, the church didn't buy me a van. The church bought a van that I don't drive. <laughs> you would be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason. You'd be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason you're offended, not your made-up reason. And God will judge you for speaking against authority no matter what the reason. Numbers 12, look at verse 9. Not always, but usually. I said, number one, the people closest to you are the ones who treat you the worst. Not always, but usually. I said, number two, whatever reason people give for being mad at the pastor or his wife is not the real reason. Not always, but usually. Number three, God does not have a chance to defend us because we're too busy defending ourselves. Not always, but usually. Number four, you'd be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason you're offended, not your made-up reason. Not always, but usually. Number five, God will judge you for speaking against authority no matter what the reason Let me give you number six. Look at verse nine. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them, and he departed. And the cloud departed from off the tabernacle, and behold, Miriam became leprous, white as snow, and Aaron looked upon Miriam, and behold, she was leprous. It's interesting that in this story, we have God... The Bible says the anger of the Lord was kindled against them and Miriam became leprous, white as snow. And Aaron looked upon Miriam. And you might look at the story and think to yourself like, okay, wait a minute. Look at verse 9. And the anger of the Lord was kindled against them. You see that plural? But then verse 10, Miriam became leprous, white as snow. So you got Aaron and Miriam who have really pissed God off. And Miriam gets leprosy, but Aaron doesn't. And you might look at this and think, like, is God a sexist or what's going on here? Why does Miriam get leprosy and uh, Aaron doesn't? Well, there's a couple of things that you need, to, you need to kind of understand about this. Let me just point this out to you. If you look at uh, verse uh, number 5, 
Notice what the Bible says. And the Lord came down in a pillar of the cloud and stood in the door of the tabernacle and called, notice this, Aaron and Miriam. And they both came forth. I want you to understand something. When it comes to like statements that come out of people's mouths, whether it's God or us, orders are important. We put things in order for a reason or subconsciously we put things in order for a reason. Like it's always funny to me, like three kids will get in trouble or four kids will get in trouble and then you'll talk to the parents and they'll be like, well, it was so-and-so, so-and-so, so-and-so and they put their kid last. And it's like, really? You put your kid last? Like people do that stuff subconsciously because orders matter. And God calls out Aaron and Miriam. Why? Because Aaron is the oldest brother. He's the oldest male brother. And Miriam is actually older than Moses as well. Because if you remember the story of Moses, when Moses was born, his mother put him in the river and she sent Miriam to go watch him and make sure that he didn't drown and that he was taken care of. So both Aaron and Miriam are older than Moses. And Aaron is the oldest brother. And Aaron is the high priest. So it makes sense that Aaron's name would be first when you're calling out Aaron and Miriam or Aaron, Moses, and Miriam. But I want you to notice verse 1. In verse 1, we find something that's unique. Numbers, I just can't get off of verse 1. I just love it so much. Numbers 12.1. And notice this. Miriam and Aaron. You say, well, why does God... Put Miriam's name first. Because that's not common. You would put the man's name first, especially since he's the one with the highest authority. He's the male. He's the oldest brother. In other passages, it says Aaron and Miriam, Aaron and Miriam. But here it says, and Miriam and Aaron. And the, the answer to the question is this. This was Miriam's idea. Miriam is the one that pushed this. Miriam is the one that's upset that he married an Ethiopian woman. And the Bible seems to indicate here that she just dragged Aaron along with her. Look at verse 11. Numbers 12, 11. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us, wherein we have done foolishly, and wherein we have sinned. Let her not be as one dead, of whom the flesh is half consumed, when he cometh out of his mother's womb. This is pretty bad leprosy that she has. Look at verse 13. And Moses cried to the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. We'll come back to these verses. Verse 14. And the Lord said unto Moses, I want you to notice what God says to Moses about Miriam. If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Doesn't it sound like God's really upset with Miriam? I mean, that's like God being pretty like, if her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed for seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days and after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days, and people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in. And afterward, the people were removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Go to Genesis chapter 3. Here's statement number 6. Because remember, these all kind of apply to church life, church world. So here's, here's statement number 6. Not always, but usually. Ready for this? If you weren't offended before, you're going to be offended now. You know, something I've learned in ministry, and the Bible backs it up, is this. Not always, but usually, when we have a problem with a couple, it's usually the woman pushing him. You say, I can't believe you said that. I'm just telling you the truth. I know that this is Aaron and Miriam, and they're, a, they're not husband and wife. They're a brother and sister. 
But usually, when we have problems with couples, it's not always, but usually, the wife. I mean, literally, we've had issues in the past where, where there's like some bumbling idiot can barely put two sentences together, and we're having all these issues with them. You know it's his wife. And then they're texting me and my wife, and all of a sudden, his text messages are super eloquent. I mean, I can't get this guy to give, give me more than two sentences in real life, but in text, he's like waxing like, and it's just like, his wife so wrote this. I mean, it even sounds like his wife. And here's what I've learned, is that oftentimes, not always, but usually, if you're having problems with a couple, it's usually the wife who's pushing him. So I don't, just because just Miriam, hey, Miriam is listed first. She's the one that gets the leprosy, and it's pretty pretty bad of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. And just consider Aaron. This goes perfectly with Aaron. Because remember when uh, Moses went up to the Mount Sinai for 40 uh, days, and Aaron made a calf and made the people to dance and to worship the idol naked. When Moses came down, what did Aaron say? He said, it was the people. It wasn't my idea. He said, I just, I just put all the gold in the fire and this calf, poof, this calf came out. So, you know, God bless Aaron, but something we learn about Aaron is that he's a follower. And he lets people lead him astray, even in the wrong direction. And I believe that's what happened here, which is why we see God so irritated with Miriam. Because Miriam is the one that's kind of pushing Aaron in this direction. Genesis 3, 6 Look at it, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was pleasant to the eyes and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took the fruit thereof and did eat, notice it, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. Look at verse 17. Look, and you may not like what I'm saying, but you just live with it. Verse 17. And unto Adam he said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife, and has eaten of the fruit of which I commanded thee, saying, Thou shalt not eat of it. Cursed is the ground for thy sake, and so shalt thou eat of, of it all the days of thy life. So I'm just telling you, not always, but usually, when you have problems with a couple, it's usually the wife. It's usually the woman pushing the man. You say, well, what, what's, what's the application? The application is man... Men, you need to man up. You need to just not let your wife just make you do these things or, or do, you know, Aaron, Aaron needed to just tell Miriam, no, we're not, we're not going to do this. We're not going to attack Moses. I mean, Aaron is the second in charge. He's the leader. He's the high priest. But he just went along with uh, this false accusation. He went along with this happening. And look, God, and you say, well, you're blaming the women. But look, it's the man's fault, Genesis 3.17. This is what God said, because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. So here's the application, ladies. Don't get so emotionally upset and riled up that you're just trying to push your husband to do things and say things and, and, and take actions that he shouldn't be taking. Because usually when you see a guy doing stupid things, it's like, it's his wife. And men, you need to man up. 
When I was in the Air Force, when I was in boot camp, we had this, uh, had this little phrase. Where we, had a, we were divided into flights, and there was a, always a flight leader. And if the flight was messing around and doing things they shouldn't be doing, the, the, uh, the TIs or the, the, the drill sergeants would walk up to the flight leader, and they would do this often. They would just walk up, and their face would be like this far away from, from the flight leader's face, and they would just yell as loud, Fix your flight! And instead of yelling at all of us who are like messing around or not doing what we're supposed to do, they would go to the leader and they would just get in his face and say, you need to fix your flight. Oftentimes I want to walk up to men in this church and say, fix your wife. (laughs) You're the leader. Fix your wife. Because look, I don't care if you like it or not, the Bible says, you know, the whole world got damned because a man would not stand up to his wife. Because thou hast hearkened unto the voice of thy wife. She took of the tree and gave also unto her husband. You're the leader. You're the spiritual leader. You lead your home. So when you have a problem with a couple, it's often the woman pushing the man. And we see this in the story with Miriam and Aaron. All right, number seven. Go go to Numbers chapter 12. I got to leave this with an exhortation. Reprove, rebuke, exhort. It might be too late for this sermon. This sermon might already. That ship might have sailed. But let me, let, me, let me do my best. Leave you with something encouraging. Not always, but usually the people closest to you are the ones who treat you worse. Whatever reason people give for being mad at the pastor or his wife is not the real reason. God does not have a chance to defend us because we're often too busy defending ourselves. You would be better off attacking the preacher for the real reason. You're offended, not the made-up reason. God will judge you for speaking against authority, no matter what the reason When you have a problem with a couple, it's usually the woman pushing the man. Let me give you number seven. Well, look at verse 11 real quickly. Numbers 12, 11. And Aaron said unto Moses, Alas, my Lord, I beseech thee, lay not the sin upon us wherein we have done foolishly and wherein we have sinned. It's interesting how when she gets leprosy, all of a sudden their attitude changes real quick. Let her not be as one dead of whom the flesh is half consumed when he cometh out of his mother's womb. Look at verse 13. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, This is Moses. We're told in the chapter, he is the meekest man on the face of the earth. These people just attacked him. They attacked his leadership, and they attacked him because of his marriage. They're attacking his family. And not only that, but they're close to him. I mean, I don't know about you, but if it was me, I'd have been like, she got what she deserves. But that's not what Moses says. Look at verse 13. And Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God, I beseech thee. And the Lord said unto Moses, If her father had but spit in her face, should she not be ashamed seven days? Let her be shut out from the camp seven days. And after that, let her be received in again. And Miriam was shut out from the camp seven days. And the people journeyed not till Miriam was brought in again. And afterward, the people were removed from Hazaroth and pitched in the wilderness of Paran. Here's statement number seven. It's usually the man of God and his wife helping people who have mistreated and disrespected them. That's the ministry. You guys, some of you guys want to get into the ministry, figure this out. People criticize you, gossip about you, sin against you, quit on you, go mess up their lives, then come back 
and we help them. And we love them. And we forgive them. And we pray for them. Moses cried unto the Lord, saying, Heal her now, O God. So just know this. No matter how mad you're at me right now, no matter what made-up stories you're going to make up about me when you leave, when you're ready to come back, my wife and I will love you. And we'll pray for you. And we'll help you fix whatever mess you made. Because that's what a real man of God does. Let's bow our heads and have a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the Bible. It's just interesting to me that the Bible could not be written by man because man would not write stories with such insight. Such insight into reality. And Lord, I pray you'd help us to learn from these stories. Help us to apply them to our lives, to not be Miriam and Aaron in this story. Try to be like Moses, meek, not defending ourselves. To forgive and help people, even if they've hurt us. Lord, help us to learn from these principles, apply them to our lives. We love you. In the matchless name of Christ, we pray. Amen. We're going to have Brother RJ come up and lead us in a final song. Just want to remind you, of course, that we've got the uh, big cleaning day, work day on Saturday. If you're able to make it to that, we'd love for you.